happy Father's Day. Um, I do want to take just a moment to honor and bless the fathers among us. God has assigned you a, uh, a vital and important role in all of our families. And uh, so we want to bless you. We want to honor you. And in a moment, we're going to take a moment to uh, pray for you. Uh, if you love your father and if your father is here with you, then you can have a wonderful day. You can enjoy this blessed day. Um, if perhaps your father is no longer living or if perhaps you never had a loving relationship with your father, then sadly this day could perhaps bring feelings of regret or um, sadness or even anger perhaps. But uh, if in that case, please remember that you have a true father, a father that loves you. So regardless of your situation, today is a day that we can all celebrate, a day that we can all celebrate Father's Day together. Let's, let's take a moment and pray for the fathers in the room. Father, uh, thank you for my own dad, and thank you for the men in this room that have uh, dedicated themselves to their children and to their wives and to uh, uh, demonstrating for them and for others uh, what it means to love you. Father, I pray you'd bless them. I pray you'd make them strong. I pray you'd give them joy. I pray that you'd give them health and wealth and vigor and fun and career and love and all the best things in life. Father, I pray that you'd bless the fathers in this room. And I pray that all of us, all the fathers, all the, that we together would seek after you to love you and know you and please you all the days of our lives. Father, I pray you'd bless the fathers in the room on this Father's Day. Thank you for being our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So again, happy Father's Day. Uh, I love my dad. It's coming, okay. I love my dad, but we're not going to talk about Father's Day <laughs> this morning. I'm sorry if that disappoints you. But uh, you probably have been looking across town for someone who's going to preach on Leviticus. And you have come to the right place <laughs> this morning. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23, if you want to head that direction. If you're, uh, there's a black pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have your Bible with you, or if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use that one. It's going to be, we're going to be, we're camp, we're going to spend a lot of time on page 101. 101. So let me, uh, let me give you a little context of, uh, of where we are and what, where this Leviticus passage is in the midst, what it's in the midst of. God spoke to Moses. Uh, and by the way, I've really enjoyed our preaching series through Exodus. You know, Exodus doesn't get much airtime, but uh, I really enjoy that time. And um, good deal. So, uh, so anyway, a little background. God has spoken to Moses and uh, at the burning bush, sent him back to Egypt. Uh, Moses uh, drummed up the courage to actually go present himself to Pharaoh and demand the release of the, uh, of the Israelites. And Pharaoh just scoffed. Just scoffed. Who is the God of the Hebrew God uh, that I should obey him? And uh, had no regard whatsoever for the Lord. And then we together watched like pedestrians on a sidewalk. We just watched the car crash happen. And, uh, and we watched the ruin of a man and the demise of a country as, refu- as Pharaoh just refused to bow, refused to kneel, refused to submit, you know, demanded that he be the boss of himself and his country. And, uh, and as a consequence, the Lord just crushed him. The Lord just crushed him and humiliated him for all time. And um, so both Pharaoh and Egypt finally imploded uh, into obscurity and poverty and uh, despair and shame. So that's, uh, you know, so we, we took that journey together as we went through Exodus. 
And then just two weeks before that very last plague that God, you know, I said bestowed, that's not the right word, you know, uh, afflicted Egypt with, just two weeks before that very last plague, God instituted an event, actually two. Um, And these two were feasts. And they were so closely linked, these two events are so too, so closely linked that we frequently refer to them uh, as one. And in, in, the, in the Gospels even, sometimes there were, these two uh, feasts are referred to as actually one. And those two events are called the Lord's Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, and we'll get to those in a minute. So back to our, back to our timeline. The, uh, the Hebrews celebrated Passover that night, the night that the death angel actually passed over, you know. Um, they, uh, they celebrated the Passover once that night, the night they fled Egypt. And, uh, and then they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread for the next seven consecutive days. That's how it worked. Passover was one day, Feast of Unleavened Bread was seven more days. So then they fled. They were out of Egypt. And, uh, and then it took them three months to get to Sinai, Mount Sinai, from there. I don't think it was a particularly long way to go. It just took them a long time to get there. So they spent three months in the desert getting to Sinai. And then Moses was on Mount Sinai. you got to remember, God spoke out loud to the Israelites, scared them to death. And then he called Moses up onto the hill with him. Can you, can you imagine? And so Moses went up onto Sinai. And, uh, and he was up there for almost, uh, for almost two months, just a little bit shy of two months, getting the Ten Commandments. And then he came down the hill, golden calf, and he broke them. He broke the Ten Commandments, probably over the heads of the Israelites. And, uh, and, then, um, and then, they, uh, then he had to go back up on the mountain to get another set of commandments. And he was there another six weeks or so. And then when he came down the second time, they stayed there for a long, long time at Sinai, building the Ark of the Covenant, building the tabernacle. Anyway, the point is they were there for a long, long time, right? So a whole year, a whole year after they left Egypt, uh, all the time they've been living in the desert, eating manna, uh, a whole year later, on the very day, and I don't know why that's significant, but it probably is, (laughs) on the very day, God instituted five more feasts. So when they were in Egypt, God gave them two. And a year later, he gave them five more. Okay? And those, uh, pa- those feasts were Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, Feast of First Fruits. You don't have to memorize these. The Festival of Ingathering. Sometimes that's called the Festival of Weeks or the, or the Festival of Booths. And then there's the, the Day of Atonement. All the others are feasts, but that one is a day. I don't know why. The Day of Atonement. And the last one is a Festival of Booths or Tabernacles. Okay. So, so God... Uh, he gave them these, sec- these last five feasts, but he postponed their celebration on- until they entered the promised land. So God gave them two, and they were supposed to celebrate those continually. And then a year later, he gave them five more, but he said, hold off on these five until you get to the promised land. And, uh, and so they celebrated Passover once in Egypt, the night they left. They celebrated Passover one more time, the night God gave them those other five feasts. And then for some reason, they stopped. For some reason, at that point, they stopped celebrating Passover and unleavened bread, and, and they never started celebrating the other five. And, uh, and, and for some reason, it, it just kind of it just kind of drifted away, and the Bible doesn't say why. Uh, you know, maybe God postponed those other uh, all the feasts, in fact, because they didn't have the supplies in the desert they needed to celebrate those those feasts. I'm not personally persuaded by that argument. I think it's more likely that the uh, the Israelites just didn't take the feast very seriously. I think they just didn't think they were very important. You know, uh, truth be told, kind of like us. 
you know, how important are those feasts to you? I couldn't have spelled feasts, you know, before I started this working on this sermon. And uh, those same people that ignored God's feasts and his uh, commands ignored God's command for circumcision. You know, God told them to circumcise their boys. They didn't do it. They just let that slide. God more than once called them stiff-necked and rebellious. And let me remind you that all those people that uh, blew God off, uh, God let them die in the desert. He didn't bring them into the promised land. I know Caleb and Joshua were exceptions, but the vast majority, we're talking like upwards of 2 million people, God didn't let them enter the promised land. He marched them in circles until they died. And then he, let, and then he brought their children who had faith in him into the promised land. So... Uh, so anyway, so feast, feast, feast. Why are we talking about Old Testament feasts? Uh, what does that have to do with us? God talks about these feasts in four different books of the OT, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And there are whole chapters where God talks about these things in detail. And Moses observed the feasts, and the prophets observed these feasts, the apostles, and even Jesus uh, celebrated these feasts. So, uh, so it, they're, they're prob- they're, it sounds kind of like a big deal, something maybe we should learn about. Um, sometimes they celebrated agricultural events. Sometimes they celebrated historic events. But, uh, but God gave us these feasts and gave the Israelites these feasts for a reason. For a reason. In fact, Romans 15.4 says, For everything uh, that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So anyway, my big idea this morning, this is my big idea. I'm hoping you remember the big idea. My big idea this morning is that when we look closely at these seven feasts that God gave the Israelites, we're going to see an outline of God's redemptive plan for all of mankind. That's like a big fat sentence. That's a big deal. So what I'm suggesting for your consideration, what I'm offering to you, is that these seven feasts outline God's plan on, on how to redeem Israel. So how many, so, uh, I've actually been to Sunday school classes where we talked about the prophecies of Daniel. I bet we got a dozen books in our own library about the prophecies of Daniel. And all you got to do is turn on the uh, TV after midnight and you can find an excited Christian talking about the, the Nebuchadnezzar statue and what those ten toes mean on the, ten, on the statue. And, uh, so I'm not, I'm certainly not, uh, I'm certainly not taking anything away from Daniel, but, uh, but these feasts are no less exciting and no less prophetic and largely just forgotten. So anyway, all that to say, here, come with me. Come with me this morning. Let's talk about the feast. You know, get on board. Let's talk about the feast. Let's look at them and let's see what the Lord might say to us through these feasts. Okay, so are you guys in Leviticus? Leviticus 23, uh, verses 5 through 8. All the feasts start with Passover. So we're going to start, we're going to talk about Passover first. This is the very first feast. It's the most important feast, but uh, arguably. So the Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Festival of Unleavened Bread begins. And for seven days, you're to eat bread made without yeast. And on the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. And for seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. You know... This description in Leviticus is actually a, a recap of the directions God gave them in Exodus. Remember, they celebrated Passover once before, the night of Passover. So this is kind of, a, you know, the kind of a review for them. They've heard this once before. And, uh, and did you notice in this review, there's actually two holidays kind of put together. And, and did you notice how close they are together? 
Passover's on the 14th, one day long. Feast of Unleavened Bread starts on the very next day, the 15th. Passover's one day, but the Feast of Unleavened Bread is seven days, seven days long. And the holidays are so close, we kind of usually treat them. You know, in the New Testament, you can hear them, see references where they say Passover week. Well, you know, Passover wasn't really a week. Passover was a day, but when you smash it together with Feast of Unleavened Bread, it kind of looks like Passover week. So my, my whole life, uh, I've been to Sunday school, and I've heard stories about how Jesus was the Passover lamb. And we cover it every year at our um, Good Friday service here at Parkside. And the symbolism is kind of undeniable. It kind of hits you in the face. On that night in Egypt, they took an unblemished lamb, each family did, and they sacrificed that lamb. And, it, uh, and, it, and it, by putting their faith in the blood of the lamb, sounds familiar, huh? By putting their faith in the blood of the lamb, putting that blood on the doorposts, doorposts then, then judgment passed over them. And they escaped judgment. You know, and, uh, and you didn't have to. If you thought you knew better, if you thought you didn't need it, uh, if you were, didn't care what the Lord's commands were, you could pass. And then uh, God's judgment would uh, come upon you. You know, later, John the Baptist shouted to just about anybody that would listen, Behold, the Lamb of God, that's him right there. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, Jesus is the Passover Lamb. And his death on the cross fulfilled the feast of Passover. It's kind of a big deal. God gave us and gave the Israelites Passover so that, so that it would teach us how God saves people. I mean, that's the point of the feast. God gave us this feast so we could learn how God saves people. And it wasn't really hard to understand then, and frankly, it's not hard to understand now. It doesn't require a lot of education, thank goodness. It just requires a decision. You know, you have to recognize the coming judgment. You got to cry out to Jesus. You got to put your faith in his death for you and you can escape judgment. That's the meaning of Passover. That's, that's the meaning of Passover. So, uh, so anyway, just in, in, in reference to the holiday itself, when did Jesus die on the cross? I know that's a big, vague question, but he died during Passover week, right? Do you remember that? Do you remember he had Passover dinner with his apostles the night before he went to the cross? Do you remember that? So not, uh, so not only did Jesus fulfill the holiday like we talked about, not only was he the lamb, he fulfilled the holiday on schedule. On schedule. So, so what's next? The Feast of Unleavened Bread. Here, let me read this to you. On the 15th day, this is the very next day, on the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Festival of Unleavened Bread begins. And for seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. And on the first day, hold a sacred assembly, do no regular work, and for seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Okay, so for the seven days following Passover, for the seven days following, they were not to eat any leaven. That means yeast, okay? So you could eat matzah, and you could eat pasta, married to an Italian, that's good. So you could eat pasta, but you could not eat uh, bread. You could have gravy, but no biscuits, that, that kind of deal. And uh, in Deuteronomy uh, 16.3, God says, um, do, not, uh, do not eat bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. The Feast of Unleavened Bread commemorated their departure from Egypt. It was Independence Day. It was like, uh, it was like Fourth of July. For Israel, okay? They wrote songs. So I'm proud to be an Israelite. 
where at least I know I'm free. You know that song? And I can sing it again for you if you like. But the, the point of this holiday was not leaven, okay? I spent most of my life thinking this was, that somehow yeast was bad. The point of this holiday is not leaven. The, the point of this holiday was freedom. Freedom. They were driven from Egypt in haste, and eating unleavened bread for a week just reminded them of the night they gained their freedom. Okay? So just as Jesus fulfilled Passover, how did Jesus fulfill the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Well... Christian, let me ask you, from what has Jesus set you free? Are there sins that you just drug around like a ball and chain that you were hopelessly enslaved to until Jesus showed up and then he set you free? Jesus sets us free. And how long did they celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Seven days, right? Seven, God's number of completeness and finality, totality. As a child of God, not only are you free, you're free forever. You're free forever. Praise God. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom's sake that Christ, set, uh, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and, let yourself, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. slavery. Hebrews 2.15 Jesus free the, frees those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, um, I look at uh, my dear brother Dell and uh, Sandy Ackerman and Grace Ernst and I think about what has transpired in their lives and I think what would I do if the Lord took my wife you know it can uh, it can make you fearful you know and uh, dementia runs in my family (laughs) give me a second dementia runs in my family and sometimes I forget stuff it can make me fearful and people I love are having biopsies. <clears throat> it can make you fearful. But praise God, praise God that he has set me free from fear. I don't have to be afraid. And I pass the matzah to me because the Feast of Unleavened Bread sets us free from the fear of sin and from the fear of death and from the fear and from fear itself. No matter what happens to me and no matter what happens to Dell and Grace and Sandy, no matter what happens to me, the Lord will take care of me. That is the feast of unleavened bread. And it's going to be like that for seven days into eternity. Praise God. So Jesus fulfilled the feast of unleavened bread when he set us all free. Get in the picture? All right. So the next, uh, the next holiday is the Feast of First Fruits. Let me read this to you again out of Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. Okay, so what, what in the world is this feast about? Is, what is this feast about? It's about the very first grain harvest, which, by the way, if you live in Israel, happens to be barley. Okay, so it's about the very first grain harvest of the year. And God said, bring to the priest a sheaf, that means like a cutting, a sheaf of the very first grain you harvest. And then he says, and don't eat any of it. 
Don't eat any of it until you offer, until you make this offering to me. Uh, allow me to look just a, a brief digression here. Uh, this is about barley, but this principle holds true for anything you have. I mean, yesterday, Maria and I paid bills. And uh, the first check we wrote was to the Lord's work, not the last. We didn't give the Lord what was left over, if anything, because nothing's ever left over, right? We, we wrote the first check was to, was to the Lord. You know, and in my humble opinion, if, you, if you're part of this church, then that check should be to Parkside. But it, I don't care where you give. I don't, I don't think it's important necessarily where you give your first fruit. But the Lord calls you to honor the harvest, the harvest he's given you, the bounty he's given you. He calls you to honor him by giving him the first sheaf. So let me just remind you of that before we go on. Um, you know, I don't take a salary from Parkside, so it's not self-serving. I'm trying to help you become a mature and fruitful believer. And uh, Jesus, we studied in Sunday school this morning, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And we are all tempted to love money. Give to the Lord he, your first sheaf. So anyway, let's, let's put money aside. Let's go back to barley, okay? So the priests of the temple in Israel, they had a ceremonial field, a little field. I don't know how big. Uh, but, but they grew barley in this field just for this holiday. For the feast of first fruits, so that they could reap the first sheaf and on behalf of the nation. Okay? And there was a big ceremony when the priests would uh, cut the first sheaf. They would have a parade, a no kidding parade from the temple down to the, uh, down to the field. People would follow. And then they would get there and the uh, priest would call out, Shall I cut the first sheaf? And the crowd would say, Yes, cut the sheaf. And he would say, Into this basket? Yes, uh, with this sickle? Yes, cut the first sheaf, you know, and it was kind of, it was fun. And it was a fun ceremony about the first harvest, the beginning of the harvest of the harvest season. I think it sounds kind of fun, actually. And then they would take it back, they cut it, take it back to the temple, and they would wave it. I don't know why, but that's what the Lord told them to do, wave it to the Lord. And, uh, and that represented how the nation was honoring the Lord with the coming harvest. And, and then each family could bring their first fruits as an offering to the Lord. And, every, and the whole nation celebrated um, the beginning of harvest. Sound, sounds fun to me. I'd kind of like to do it. Um, so why on earth, it was, it was a one-day harvest party, but why on earth would God institute a biblical holiday uh, uh, about agriculture? You know, does God have such an affinity for farmers that he made a holiday about farmers? Well, I've known some farmers. And um, I'm thinking that wasn't the point, <laughs> you know. And uh, he could have made a far, he could have made a holiday about uh, mechanics, or he could have made a holiday about dairymen, or uh, that unsung hero, web developers, <laughs> you know. But uh, but he didn't. So I, I'm thinking this holiday doesn't really have a lot to do uh, with agriculture. So let, let's look for some clues. Did you notice when they were supposed to celebrate the feast of first fruits? Look at verse 11. Verse 11 is uh, here. He is to provide, he is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. The day after the Sabbath. Well, which Sabbath is that? Sabbath is like every Saturday, right? It's like a weekly thing. So which which one? Sometimes they, uh, some, some people think they celebrated it on the first, the day after the first Sabbath when the grain was ripe. It's reasonable. But traditionally, they would celebrate this holiday on the first Sabbath um, after Passover. 
Okay? Because that way people, people can make plans. They got to travel to Jerusalem. I don't know to what degree it was practically motivated. But nonetheless, they would celebrate it on the first uh, Sabbath after Passover. Okay, so if you're keeping score, we got three holidays in quick succession. Bang, bang, bang. We got Passover, which is one day long. We got the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the next seven days. So altogether, that's an eight-day window, right? And if you have an eight-day window, one of those days is going to be the Sabbath, right? So we got Passover and then uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, eight days. And somewhere in there, there's going to be a Sabbath. And the very next day is going to be this day. It's going to be the, fe- the, the day on which they celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. Okay, so let's, uh, let's take a look at the week of uh, Jesus' death, Okay. That Jesus died during Passover week, right? We just talked about that a few minutes ago. All right, Jesus celebrated uh, the Passover dinner with his apostles on Wednesday night. They met in the upper room. They had the Last Supper. That was the uh, that was the Passover night. Okay, and then that night they uh, they went to the garden together. They, Jesus wanted to pray till the wee hours of the morning. Morn. It was so late. The apostles all fell asleep. Jesus kept praying. The, uh, the soldiers came up. They arrested him, right? They took him to the high priest's house. By now, it's like 3, 4 in the morning. They, uh, they tried Jesus, um, but it was not legal to have a court. It was not legal to have a trial uh, during nighttime. So they waited until sunup, dawn, bang, hit the gavel. Jesus, you're now guilty. So at 0600, I don't know what time, but as soon as the sun came up, they declared Jesus guilty and they took him to Pilate's house. And uh, Pilate woke him up, for all I know. And uh, they browbeat Pilate into condemning Jesus to death, which, uh, which uh, Pilate did. And uh, so then Jesus was on the cross the very next day. In fact, he was on, cro- on the cross by like 9 a.m. The Gospels actually say 9 a.m., the very next day. So Jesus was on the cross early. So here's Passover. We're talking about the feast. Here's Passover. The very next day is the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It goes... For eight days, sometime during that window, you're going to have a Sabbath right there. The day We're going to celebrate the Feast of First Fruits the day after the Sabbath, which is right there. So that's when they celebrated the, the uh, Feast of First Fruits. Does anything look suspicious or conspicuous about that day? It was the Sunday following Jesus' crucifixion. What do we call that day? Easter. Right? It was Easter. Jesus rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. Do you think that's an accident? I think not. And not only did he fulfill the holiday, he did it on schedule. He did it on the day. Romans 6.5 says, and say it with me if you know it, For if we, if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. 1 Peter 1, 3. You probably all know this because this was our memory verse. <laughs> Praise be to the Lord, and, Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation point. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I, I have hope of resurrection because, G, because of Jesus' resurrection. Are you getting the picture here? Do you understand that these feasts are a big deal? These feasts are a big deal. They're not just arcane observances of some backwater culture. These, uh, these feasts are God's illustration to us of his uh, redemptive plan for all of mankind. And not only did Jesus fulfill it, 
He did it on the day. I think that's so cool. He did it on the day of first fruits. He was the very first. What was first fruits about? It was about the first harvest. Jesus was the first one to be resurrected from the dead. He is the firstborn from among the dead. You probably know that verse from Colossians. And, uh, and he did it. So praise God on, on, the, on the day of no less. All right. So do you want to know what's next? Yes, of course. You want to know what's next? In-gathering. Now, this has a different name. We typically don't call it in-gathering. OT does. But in the New Testament, we called it, they called it Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word. God didn't tell that to the Hebrews in the Old Testament. That name came later. And uh, so it was called the Feast of In-gathering because unlike the Feast of First Fruits, it celebrated the bounty of the harvest, the big harvest, you know, the, the abundance of all the harvest. And uh, it was also called the Feast of Weeks because it was like seven weeks and a day after first fruits. So after first fruits, you count off seven weeks, and the very next day is this day, the Feast of Ingathering. So sometimes it's called the Festival of Weeks, sometimes it's called uh, Ingathering, in the New Testament's called Pentecost. In fact, Pentecost comes from the Greek word for 50, because seven weeks and a day is 50 days. So 50 days after first fruits is the Festival of Ingathering. Okay, so this, uh, I won't read you the passage, you can read it later if you like, but this was, um, this was a, a bigger harvest party. It, first fruits was just the beginning of the harvest, this is the end of the harvest, where all of the bounty comes in. And it was a big harvest party. Uh, we call it Pentecost, like it only happened once. It happened every year, right? It happened every year. And uh, let, uh, we're very familiar with one particular Pentecost, and that's in Acts chapter 2. Uh, um, Maybe. Okay, let me read it to you. So Acts chapter 2 chapter two says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind <clears throat> came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You know, when we talk about, when I think about Pentecost, I usually think about it in terms of the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and, you know, and absolutely, without a doubt, Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. And on this day, Jesus fulfilled that promise. But when I think of Pentecost, I think the whole point was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And let, let me suggest to you, maybe not. Let me suggest to you maybe not. The giving of the Holy Spirit and the work he performed on that day were means to an end. Well, what end? Well, what was the end? Well, verse 40 in chapter 2 says, With many other words, Peter warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The point of the holiday is not the Spirit. The point of the holiday is the harvest. Jesus harvested souls into his church on that day. And not only, did he, not only did he do it, not only did he harvest souls into his church, he did it on the Feast of Ingathering. He fulfilled the holiday and he did it on time. It's, uh, it's great. It's really incredible. Okay, so next we have, we have, we have, we have three feasts left. Trumpets, uh, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles. We've got three left. And I can't, uh, I can't provide you an analysis of how Jesus fulfilled these uh, prophecies because I don't think he has. I said prophecies, I meant feasts, sorry. But I think they are prophetic nonetheless. Anyway, I, in my humble opinion, 
I don't think Jesus has fulfilled these last three feasts yet. Other people are just to disagree. You're welcome to disagree. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to search out the scriptures and make up your own mind. But uh, in my opinion, the, uh, the, the day of trumpets has not, uh, the feast of trumpets has not been fulfilled. And, um, uh, and when you read the description of the feast of trumpets in Leviticus, it's exceedingly brief. Uh, it hardly says anything. It basically says that they're supposed to make sacrifices and blow trumpets. That's it. That's it. And so we're left to glean the importance of this feast from other passages. And uh, now when God gave them the law at Mount Sinai, when he spoke to them, there were trumpet blasts. And the passage back then in Deuteronomy, I think it was, said, I don't remember exactly where it was. Anyway, uh, says that the, the trumpets were getting louder and louder and, and it was terrifying. So perhaps they were angelic. I don't know who was blowing those trumpets. It wasn't the, it wasn't the Hebrews, that's for sure. You know, and another example is when they, uh, you know, there was a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud in the day, right, at the Israelite camp, and that was God's presence. And whenever that, whenever either of those moved, the camp got up and followed it. That's how they knew when to move. They didn't move unless the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire moved first. And whenever those things moved, they blew trumpets. The Israelites did. They blew trumpets to announce, we're moving. Get ready, pack up. Um, and then finally, the judges in the Old Testament, not finally, but additionally, the judges in the Old Testament, for battle, they blew trumpets. So I'm kind of shopping here. I'm kind of looking for times where, you know, where trumpets were important and what I can learn from those. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, uh, Paul was talking about the resurrection. And he said... And he said that, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. And then he went on, different book, same topic. He said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. You know, these two passages, they're talking about uh, a return of Jesus. You know, some people argue about whether it's two events or one event. And, you know, personally, I, I weigh in. I think they're two separate events. You're welcome to disagree again if you like. But, it, it, but in, either case, uh, in, in either case, something enormous is going to happen with, uh, with uh, something in, beyond our imagination is really going to occur. And the Lord's going to announce it with trumpets. With trumpets. It's going to be incredible. So... Our, uh, the next one, and this is our second to the last, is the uh, is the day is the day of atonement. Okay, so if God come, if Jesus returns on the day of trumpets to collect His people, who will be left? The lost, right? That makes sense. And uh, and uh, and then will then will come a great day of atonement. It'll be a day when many, many people give their lives to Christ. And, um, and there will be not only, a, not only will the earth be filled with lost people, of course, but that, those, that lost population will include the lost children of Abraham. I'm talking about Jewish people. The lost children of Abraham to whom God promised a special love and a special loyalty. You know, in Romans 11:25, God said, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Paul. 
he wrote Romans. Uh, he said, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. That's right now. That's right now. We're in the feast of ingathering, right? He's bringing the full number of Gentiles into the church. That's us. And in this, so let me start. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God's going to save Israel. Can you imagine such a thing? Can you? I mean, it's hard to believe. And uh, Israel will become a Christian nation. I mean, if that's not enough, there's one more. It's uh, Zechariah 12.10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the... Who are they, right? I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. There will come a day when Israel turns to Christ. Praise God. There will be a great day of atonement. And then this is the big one. This is the last one. The Feast of Tabernacles. So back in Leviticus again, it says, So after you've gathered the crops from the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord, celebrate the festival of the Lord uh, for seven days. Right? And on the first day, you're to take branches from, from luxuriant trees, from palms and willows and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Does that sound kind of odd to you? God wants us to go camp out for a week in the autumn. You know, he wants me to go cut down branches and make a lean-to in my backyard and sleep out there every night. Are you killing my back? (laughs) But that's that's what the Lord told him to do. And so you got to wonder why. Wonder why. Well, he he tells them, So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay, this, this, is the, uh, this is the last feast, and its position suggests finality and closure, and its length suggests eternity. It's going to be going on for seven days. Its length suggests eternity. It was a festive time, a happy time, when uh, you built booths and you camped out for a week. And it harkens back to when Israel camped out every night, uh, warmed and illuminated <clears throat> by the pillar of fire. You know, they were in the desert for 40 years. The, the people that actually went into the promised land, they grew up. Their whole lives were spent going to bed each night, and it wasn't dark. And it was flickery and warm and yellow when you went outside at night because there was a pillar of fire of God's very presence camped right there with you. Would that be a secure feeling? Yeah, I think that would be a secure feeling. Uh, so they, they grew up understanding what it was like to, to sleep and under God's care every single night. Revelation 23 says, 21 verses 3 five through 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the temple of God, excuse me, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. 
and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, and the, uh, the first things have passed away. Now, God wants to tabernacle with you. He wants to live with you, and he wants to live with you forever. Okay? So let's review. That's right, let's review. All right, the first, the Lord's Passover, okay? Passover tells us how God saves people. That's short and sweet. Passover was given to us so we'd know how God saves people. God gave his son, Jesus, for you and for me, and we can escape judgment if we put our faith in him. If that doesn't make sense to you or if you're intrigued by that, if the Lord's tugging at your heart, come talk to me after. Come talk to Pastor Brennan. Talk to any believer. We can share that information with you. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't be like Pharaoh. If you say, no, not me, not now, not ever, God will crush you. And it won't be pretty. It won't be pretty. The next one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This celebrates freedom. It's not about leaven. It's about freedom. Freedom from Egypt for the Israelites. uh, But that was just a picture of the freedom that believers have, that I can have, that you can have from sin and from fear. The next one is first fruits. Uh, they celebrated barley. We celebrate Jesus. Jesus was the first fruits, the first, the first and foremost to be resurrected. You know, everybody's going to be resurrected, not just the saved. John chapter 5 says, An hour is coming in which all who are in, their, in the tombs will hear his voice, and they will come forth, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life. And those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of the judgment. Everybody, you know, everybody's going to be resurrected to face judgment. And uh, the, the Lord will, Jesus, the first fruits of that resurrection, will gather unto himself his own and cast away the others. Then, the ingathering. Where we are now, Jesus is, going to, is harvesting souls into his church. Every day, every day, Jesus is harvesting. And then there will be a feast of trumpets. Jesus is going to return to collect his church. And it's going to be loud. Loud in a big way. And then after he has done so, after Jesus has taken his church home, there will be also, because he's a gracious God, there will be an additional day of atonement. When, uh, you know, many people will be left behind after the Feast of Trumpets. And many of them will be Jews. And God will, t- uh, God will make good, finally, on his promise to Abraham. Uh, Israel will believe. Some Jews will reject him. If you read about this in Deuteronomy, about the Day of Atonement, it says uh, that, those, that there will be some who reject, even on the Day of Atonement. But nonetheless, Jewish Christians will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and stars in the sky, just like God promised Abraham. Genesis chapter 22. And then the last one, Tabernacles. This is the last feast, and it lasts for seven days. Figuratively forever, God will reside with his people. How how blessed is that? And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. That's that same Revelation passage, chapter 21, we read before. Jesus wants, you know, these feasts are stepping stones of what God is going to do with mankind. He's going to, anyway, I don't have to review them again. They're fabulous, and they end in a fabulous place. God wants to live with you. He wants to tabernacle with you, and he wants to stay with you forever. All right? Let's pray.
Father, uh, thank you so much for these feasts. They're, they're glorious, Lord. They're wonderful because you are glorious and you are wonderful. Lord, I, uh, I bless you this day. Lord, you saved me because of, uh, because of, and you showed me how on Passover. And uh, someday you will resurrect me and someday you will tabernacle with me. And, and it just goes on and on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these feasts. Lord, uh, we honor you this day, especially on this Father's Day. And we lift you up. You are a good, good Father. And, uh, and, I, and I bless you and I'm grateful for these feasts. In Jesus' holy name, amen.